<laughs> so, Musa, really, uh, our fireside chats are really an extension of the African Tech Conversation series that we host uh, online. You can find them on iTunes, anywhere good podcasts are published. Wherever you're finding your podcast, you'll find African Tech Conversations. It's a great series. We only profile the best. You were on the list for the next season. You know this. <laughs> so, you, so, yeah, don't mess around. Mm. So, he was on the ne- he was on the bill for the next season. He wasn't going to be interviewed live, but here he is now. And what we do in that in that series is really we ask questions that. Dudes in his position never get asked. Now, uh, among the things I didn't list is he's the former head of digital marketing at NetBank. You know, so uh, before that, um, you you founded a, a company called Monate Fellas. I mean, you guys turned over serious millions um, in your own startup, yeah. and now it's startup two point. You see, you're not alone. Where's our homie? Where's our homie uh, Daniel Rubenstein? You see, you're not alone. You're you're like entrepreneur two as well, with some failures along the way, right? And we're here to talk about it all. Yeah. And I want you to give me the first word that comes to mind to describe how you feel only a few months after leaving what's arguably the greatest startup of our generation by many, regarded by many, and that's Facebook. You've just left what many people consider the coolest gig you could have in in, in Africa's tech ecosystem. One word to describe what it feels to be just a month away from that. Amazing. Why? That's surprising. Yeah, no, it's, I had a fantastic tenure at Facebook, which was great. And in fact, the, the moment of truth for me was we were invited to, um, to a conference last year for, for black leaders within the Facebook uh, business. Um, and we all ended up going to Menlo Park, which is uh, our head office. And in the room, there was about, you know, 300 odd black people, people who identified with being black, and it was about black leadership. And, um, the moment of truth for me was that the nature of the conversation we're having was pretty much about maintaining your position in Facebook and growing in the ladder, right? And I sat there and I thought, well, you know, if you arguably have the smartest people in, in, in the world in this room um, and the conversation you're having is about maintaining your own status quo, there's something wrong with the conversation. Um, and if I'm going to continue to stay in the conversation, I'm also contributing to whatever's wrong. Um, in my mind, the conversation should be along the lines of, how do we create a bigger ecosystem for other people that are black or identify with being black? Um, and what is it that we do as a business to be able to bring them into the ecosystem that's already been built by Facebook? So that was a personal challenge to myself. And as I said, coming from very entrepreneurial background, I realized that um, I was either going to be part of the problem or part of the solution. Um, is Facebook the kind of place where you can express that kind of thing? Like, I don't really like it is. what I'm hearing in this meeting. Yes, it yeah. absolutely is. Yeah. Um, the, the, the reality is that that particular conference was the first of its kind. So these things will take time. So over time, it'll get better. And over you know, a period, we might address those issues. But as you know, down, down in Africa, we don't have time. We don't have the, you know, the, the luxury of being able to sit and you know, think about what to do next. So for me, it is a, it is a very personal decision to say, well, you know, how am I going to participate in some of the things which I think are important for our not only economic transformation, but for to change the lives of African people. So I know Musa so long. I know him when he had cornrows in his head. <laughs> I'm serious. This guy used to dance hip hop. Okay. And, and here's confession. I modeled much of what I've done career wise in terms of what this guy, he's my age mate, but he feels like a mentor as well. And I very rarely admit that on this show because I'd like to hold my, you know, I like to be in charge, but uh, <laughs> I like to know what I'm doing. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a story I want to take you back to the Monarchy Fellas days, yeah. which is the startup really that helped me start to define, hey, you can start your own thing and actually really make money. Because at the time, really my notion of being an independent producer or a freelancer was really just finding new and better ways to sell my time. Sure. And you redefined that for me. Mm. 
by going, actually, you can build business around this thing. Yeah. So I'm going to take you back to a, 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 a story that you told me. I'm not going to mention names, but it was quite pivotal in, in your journey in that company. Yeah. You had this incredible contract around the 2010 World Cup. Yeah. And you got this massive contract to service a really big name listed financial group with with a lot of uh, interesting services. Yes, it was a multi million dollar, multi million rand deal. Correct. And they didn't pay you. Correct. You sued them, <laughs> and then oh, realized you that your lawyers were their lawyers. Correct. <laughs> Only they didn't disclose it until you were what three months into the lawsuit. Correct. Okay, really yeah. reputable name that has its, you know, one of the bigger buildings here in Santa. Yeah. So I want yeah. you to draw a line from that situation and, and try, I'm going to use that as, a, as a, an anchor mm. for you sort of describing your mindset as a startup founder. Yeah. Then tr- trudging through sort of entrepreneurship through these big firms yeah. to being an entrepreneur once again. Yeah, sure. There's actually been so much that's happened since the... I mean, you're taking me back to a place yeah, that Yeah, Doug, is... he did not know I was going to bring that up. <laughs> right. So, as, as you mentioned, we, we had a really great uh, uh, contract with, 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 a, with a great business that gave us um, the opportunity to essentially land their messaging leading up to the World Cup. So, it was um, all about activation, creating excitement, strategic positioning of what they were doing. Um, but a lot of it was happening in kind of outlying areas, not necessarily Joburg. So it was uh, the Northwest and, and those kind of places. Um, one of the conditions for that particular contract um, was that we partner with a local service provider. Um, and at the time, you know, we, we had never gone into any of those kind of agreements. So the consortium that we needed to form was to eventually obviously, you know, translate the value that we were going to create, be it monetary or skill, back into the community, which in principle, I don't think anybody can fault or, or, or argue with. Um, so, you know, we, we were young and we got this great contract. So we thought, you know, how bad can this be? So we signed up and we got, we got to working. Um, the challenge was the people that we were, you know, we were partnered up with to work with, um, was kind of one of those entrepreneurs. Jimmy comes to Joburg, gets a nice qualification, goes back to the city. Now he sells toilet paper. He's a media mogul. He's a mining specialist. He's a, you know, one of those kind of entrepreneurs. There's always um, a pharmaceutical contract. Absolutely. Supplying needles or something to exactly. hospital. Always. Exactly. There's always something. In yeah. There. Garden <laughs> services, everything, whatever you want. He's that yeah. guy. So we, we were coming in with quite a professional approach and our skill and what we we're going to contribute. And here comes this character who, just does everything, um, and he's known for that within within his context. But for us to get the work, we had to partner with um, with them because I wasn't quite black enough even at that time. Yeah, because you're Zambian. I, was, and I mentioned it in the intro, but yeah. <laughs> you're still you're still a passport holder. I am still a passport. He's holder. a passport holding yeah. Zambian. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, but in South Africa, you couldn't be recognized fully for B points if you naturalized after '94. So I was black, but not quite. Mm. Um, so we partnered with, with, with this outfit and we started to do the work and we delivered. I mean, our, our, our end of the bargain was to make sure that things worked and his end of the bargain was to manage the politics and the rest of it, which we did. Um, and come to the, you know, come to the, the last week before we actually press play, um, client comes back to us and says, look, we want to do all these really amazing additional things. And we thought, you know what? We don't mind doing it um, because we want to deliver value. You know, there's always the stigma of black businesses dropping the ball last minute, can't deliver under pressure. Or not being big picture. Exactly. Mm. So we were like, you know, we're not going to fall into that. We're going to deliver and we're going to over deliver, in fact. Um, so that our, you know, our, re- our reputation is intact, which, which we did. So we were taking all these briefs telephonically from this client who was like, oh, we need this. And I was like, we'll do it. Or we need this and we'll do it. So you're in the, you're in the mix and you're just churning stuff out. Um, 
I think I can mention figures now. I think the contract initially, you know, we had about 3.5 million we had to deliver on. We eventually delivered about 6 million rands worth of value, right? Um, and the 6 million, additional 2.5 million wasn't part of the contract. Um, and because we had been going through the process and agreeing over the phone, yes, of course, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Well, she, she turned around and she went, well, where did we agree to that? Um, and obviously this is after the fact and you've gone out and you've done all the stuff. What did you learn, um, bro? Like what's the like two, sure. two or three things like straight out of that situation? Yeah. Yeah. What did you learn that you now used in your in the roles that would come after that? I think the most obvious one is, is pen to paper. I mean, you know, a gentleman's agreement in the context of working with a business that's listed in big business doesn't actually hold water because they'll turn around and and you know she turned around and it was her, but imagine she had left and someone else had come in as an example. Um, so 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 pen to paper as far as the the, the contract obligation, the deliverables, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We thought by committing it to Word and maybe sending an email and you know that kind of stuff, but eventually it, you know it wasn't sufficient. Uh, the second thing is understand the understand the ecosystem of relationships. Um, so the client that we were servicing, I eventually then found out her relationship with the, the guy who was the member of the consortium. Um, you know, and they had some shenanigans on the side. Um, but I, you know, coming into the the, the the equation, I, you know, I was completely unsighted to that, um, and I didn't do my due diligence to understand who the characters were that we were dealing with. Once again, coming into it, wanting to deliver, wanting to move quickly, you make all these assumptions that everybody's in there to do the right thing. Um, so I think those are the two key key things that I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as as you mentioned, coming out of that, we tried to get our money back. Um, we we spent. 18 months fighting with them. Um, Did you get it back? Uh, no, we didn't. No. Um, eventually, the amount we were racking up in lawyers' fees was almost double the amount we're claiming back. So it was kind of one of those that, you know, we're never going to win. Um, so it, we had to walk away from it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, you know, the, the third lesson is that you need, to, you need to be clear about, you know, what your cutoff point is. Because, yes, we could have continued to try to fight it, and we could have. Um, but the amount of energy and time, let alone resources, that I was taking away from other things. We were still a startup. You know, so I still had other things to do. I couldn't spend my time strategizing about what the best way to position this court case would be and sitting with lawyers who were sitting in the same room. as. So it, I just thought, you know, from an energy perspective, I need to draw the line somewhere, which I, which I did. Um, and unfortunately, it left us in a, in a really, really deep hole. When you had to close the business. You had yeah, to exactly. do something different. Um, exactly. And, and, and closing the business meant us I met you the day, like we, hooked, it, we met the day, the week you did it. You actually were like, "This is going to be over." Yeah, no, no. I mean, and and it was a. The reality was that we closed the business as a going concern, Um, but because of my nature and my character, the debt I took on in my personal capacity. Yeah. So because a lot of suppliers I knew and a lot of people were doing you know favors and had delivered at last minute, I I kind of took that on personally to say, "Look, you know, I don't want to damage the relationship, so you know, we'll we'll make a plan over a period, and you know, you you sort it out." Um, But you know, passing that on to the business and trying to continue to make it work in that form. Um, wasn't actually going to work. Um, so, sure. so that was uh, that was unfortunate, but a huge learning at the same time. I think um, to this day, I think it was my first kind of major finger burn. I, I have another confession to make, and this is not like a confession session, but it's not <laughs> something I haven't told you before, is yeah. that um, I ex- fully expected you to start something else. Mm. So it was an expectation I had of you because you were a mentor mm. in terms of like doing stuff I, you know, I aspired to mm. and everything. I thought, no, he's going to bounce back um, and he's going to start something new. Mm. Then you went corporate, bruh. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm like, no, but I'm t- like, no, but take a step back. So homie, I'm, just, I'm like, homie, did what? Because I see this, because, uh, I mean, we're friends and stuff, but we're not in each other's lives all the time. Yeah. So it popped up like on LinkedIn or something. I'm like, dude's gonna do me like this. No, 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 wait. Do so, it. and I'm thinking, if I feel like this, like, what about the people he started out with? Yeah, thought, yeah. we're in it together, bruh. No, you know, no. next thing he's like, hit a digital at, at, at NetBank Group, people. 
I'm like, nah. No, but wait, nah. you, you, you're jumping a very Am important step. Am I jumping step. an important step? Yeah, so. Set me so, straight. Yeah, so after the Munat fellas, uh, well, the timing was interesting. So I then went, because I, I did a lot of work with, with Tebe Kalafeng, who was a mentor, and he, he runs the brand. Legend. Legend. So we, we spent a lot of time yeah. working at arm's length on lots of crazy projects like the Transnet rebrand, um, University of Pretoria kind of stuff. So we had always worked kind of him there, me here. And he'd been courting me for a long time. He wanted me to come and work with him kind of full time. And I didn't want that. So around about the time I closed Munati Fellas, we actually almost did, you know, we retired the brand and we took kind of as many resources and as many of our clients into the IHOP group, which is a division of the brand leadership uh, stable. Um, so that was the immediate... Which owns, of course. Correct. That okay. was the immediate step right after, right after Munati Fellas. And that was an 18-month an journey. And once again, huge learnings there. Um, on paper, it was the perfect agreement. Um, you know, Tebe is... Stalwart brought Nike into Africa. You know, that all like brand Africa things. guys. I mean, um, if if any country is doing really well at branding themselves, yeah. chances are brand leadership yeah. is Absolutely. involved. Absolutely. Period. Yeah. And then here's this young Thundercat, which is me trying to do new things. So it it made sense. Yeah. Um, but we never really aligned on our vision as far as what I truly wanted to achieve mm. and what he truly wanted to achieve. So it was an 18 month uh, journey. Was there a breakup? Like, was there like home? Yeah, like, yeah, it was. Does the it, romance does had to come the, to the an romance end. ended, but it okay. ended on you know on the basis that I was no longer having fun anymore right yeah. Munati fellas was was fun you know those young people were creating stuff who were acting foolish which was like a train station at the, it was just fun now um, there's this guy and he's got a strong vision absolutely. there's you with your vision they're absolutely. not working it's not working absolutely so yeah. then when do you go okay let me go corporate no you see now you just you, can you just nah, bro, i'm like nah <laughs> so so the corporate thing was i was courting nedbank so i was trying to pitch for business with them funny enough so them and sab at the same time so when i was pitching for business with sab i was talking to nedbank we're trying to sell ORM solutions in the early days of ORM, need to be online, managing your reputation, blah, blah, blah. Um, the guy who was working at, at, at SAB left SAB, as these things usually happen, and then he incidentally went into a position at NetBank. So I was, I was having conversations on both sides, and he then picked up the conversation at NetBank, and I said to him, dude, I've been sitting here for th- almost three to four months pitching business to you guys. They don't get it. You guys are not going to make progress. You're not going to say, I was like, well, let me, give, me, give me a month. He took a month, you know, true to his word, and he came back to me and said, look, the reason why nothing has happened is that we actually have no capacity internally. We don't have a group digital team. We don't have this. We don't have that. So, yes, you'll be preaching to these guys, but they won't actually be able to implement. So then he made a throwaway statement. He was like, why don't you come and start the team? So I was like, ah, nah, man. I'm not, <laughs> you know, when you've been an entrepreneur, you're and like, Bank ah, at the time, let's be honest, like that thing. brand was so... Unappealing. Unappealing, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and no, the, and the guys, I have to be honest because yeah. uh, that's saying a lot because four years of my life were dedicated to a show called It's My Biz. Yeah. It was then the, the biggest <laughs> business advice show on African television. We topped out at something like six million viewers a, 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 a month, mm. uh, a week. Uh, I was talking to businesses all over the place. It was incredible like a free MBA, meeting all the captains of industry. It grew the, in, the, the NetBank small business brand yeah. from nothing. Like there were nothing of nothings in, in the run status of, <laughs> of, of and I have to say this, I yeah. mean, ridiculous to yeah. market leading yeah. in, in so many respects, not in, in no small part to that show and yeah. to the digital efforts that came online in, in Musa's tenure. So, to, I'm just trying to give you perspective because it almost sounds like, well, that sounds perfect. Sounds perfect now, you know, when net banks kind of found their feet and most banks really have teams of this nature. This position didn't exist then. No, it didn't. And I think that was one of the things that was appealing because you were one of the you know, first. my first my first reaction was like, corporate. Not and my what did thing. they call it? They said, okay, we'll call it. 
They didn't have a name. So he says, uh, I said You to came him, up with a name? Yeah, yeah. So he said to me, what are you going to do? Oh, I said to him, what am I going to do? He says, I don't know. I said, what am, you know, who, who's currently in that position? He said, I don't know. And those, all those things were like really positive things for me because I thought, ah, that's, that's a unique position to and be so in. So just to understand, are, yeah. you in, uh, uh, are you reporting to him? To, who are you reporting to? To him. I'm reporting to my, my, at the time, he was kind of a compatriot in, in, in the marketing In the space. market. So I was reporting to him, yeah. Were you like an Exco uh, resource or not? It was no, still I, was a in, I was reporting into Exco. You were reporting into Exco. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 when I, so when I had these conversations with them, we were quite candid because I was like, you know, I'll, I'll give you my concerns. Like, I don't think I'm going to fit. Um, I think, you know, my experience is going to either cause a complete mess or it's going to frustrate me. Um, and then he said to me, look, there's nothing there that, that, that currently exists, so you're going to build from scratch. For the first time, I was spending someone else's money, so I was yeah. like, ha-ha, <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. Um, and they gave me, and he gave you me were just making blanche. it rain. Yeah, yeah. I was just, um, so, but, but he gave me carte blanche. And to this day, I credit him, Sidney Mbella, great leader, because he created the environment that was right for me against a lot of people in the business saying, don't hire this guy. And Andy, they're just hating on the, on the sidelines, great. <laughs> hey, hey. This yeah. homie sold out. Yeah, no, no, no. It was, it was a Andy, bit of a fight. I didn't know the story. No, it was a bit of a fight. I, I mean, I think NetBank, the brand itself, is risk averse. Yeah. So come this Thundercat guy, who, you know, who people don't know, don't identify with. He's been in entrepreneurship. Who is he's he? Come like he's Zambian? He's, exactly. What, what is he? Um, okay. So Sydney batted for me, and I, you know, I went into the position, you know, and uh, fortunately... And you knocked it out of the park, that. and I'm not saying that lightly, <laughs> because I really had sight on that. I also grew in my role, by the way, in that role. I, mm. was, I was reporting to an ex-co yeah. uh, member who was directly responsible for... For re, it was just, which is crazy because that was a setup to this business as well, where NetBank took everything they were spending on on um, infomercials yeah. and trusted the production company that brought me online to spend this by buying out early time, early you know prime time airtime mm. and making this show with the what they thought was going to last one season. Then it just takes everything by storm, and yeah. then digital comes online. So there are a lot of firsts in that in that scenario, and yeah. there's something else that a lot of people don't know. <laughs> a little thing that you and Dominique Collett might have in common, or nearly had in common. Nearly had in common. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So now, so for some reason or whatever reason, NetBank yeah. just, like, the fun there just starts to slow. And I kind of know kind of yeah. why. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the typical. I mean, I was not mature in a corporate context. So yeah. I did what entrepreneurs would do. And the come, timelines as well. Come yeah. on. No, no, look, I mean, I, within nine months, my team was set up, and I made myself redundant because that's what... That's what entrepreneurs do. You want to go in good there. Good ones. Yeah, well, the good okay. ones, yeah. <laughs> but corporate culture is fundamentally about the opposite. It's, it's, it's you know, create a system that's so Stick reliant a, on you that you ensure your job doesn't go away. Stay you know? so, around, exactly. bruh. So, okay, yeah. so I struggled. I mean, I got to nine months in and I thought, geez, what, what now? And I truly believe there was an opportunity for, at the time, for the taking for any forward-thinking bank that wanted to really become consumer-centric and adopt digital solutions to actually take the lead. So I kept on prompting and we need to do this, we need to do that. And the reality at the time is the business just wasn't ready. So, you know, we had gone as far as we could have gone for that moment. And essentially the... the, the you outgrew it. Yeah. Well, I grew waiting around because they said, you know, chill, the business will catch up. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not in that movie, yeah. unfortunately. So, you know, I went Different and, ending. Yeah, I went and did my, 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 my master's. They paid for that. They bribed me to stick around, which I did. Um, I can't say bribe and bank in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah. you, you guys know can what someone, I mean. You, <laughs> you can if you want to also say lawsuit. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you don't mind that, then... Okay, they coerced me. Let me put it that way. Um, <laughs> Even that's a bit dodgy. They convinced. Incentivized. There we go. They incentivized. incentivized. 
Um, got lawyers in the building. <laughs> All right, cool. So I did that. I came back really fired up, really excited. Lots of great thinking, exposed to businesses all over the world. Wanted to change their business. Came up with a great strategy around the mother that ate the child. And that's where the time thing came in. Yes. Um, did my this research. This is one of his talks. Like, he does talks. Yeah. He's amazing. Book him. <laughs> yeah, but whatever. Carry on. Did my research. And that's where I discovered, uh, that's where I discovered time. You also inspired me to study further. At the okay. time, I, I signed up for an amazing MBA with a foreign, uh, really reputable institution that yeah. will remain unnamed for now because it suddenly realized uh, the lesson I learned from watching you and going, hey, I need one of those yeah. is um, I applied what I talked about earlier, a copy and paste approach. Right. Um, I'm now really happily doing a master's in, in digital interactive media. Fantastic. And that's what I meant I should have done when, when I first got the urge to study further. Got it. And so, yeah, shout out to any of the kids out there who think they want to look at someone and just basically copy their career. You, you're not likely to be happy doing that. That's just, that's <laughs> my take on it. Yeah. And so anyway, so you are going to, so I see you do that. You do the MBA. Yeah. You finish there. You do the MBA. You take their MBA, mm. their MBA, <laughs> their <laughs> and you move along and you move and you keep it moving. You and this is where, <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, right. yeah. It was yours. It was yours. You ended. Yeah. Now, then there's time mm. offering you a job. Yes. Unfortunately, which was going to be an amazing thing. So you yes. nearly became part of the, yes, the, founding the incredible team. founding team yeah, was, that would later sell for 40 million um, Australian dollars, <laughs> <Yeah>. reputedly. Um, <laughs> no, it was a timing issue. So, no, let me finish. Mm. Uh, and then come back to South Africa and sell a 10% stake to, to <laughs> African Rainbow Capital and Patrice Motseba. Uh, so never you done nearly that. became a part of that team. I would have never done that. <laughs> Just for the record. Oh, okay, you never sold. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you, you, and you only said no because... It was just a timing issue. Okay. It was a timing issue. I mean, they, they literally, I mean, I had a chat with, with, with Nate, uh, one of the, one of the founding members there. Yeah. Um, and it was completely also coincidental. Um, we had a mutual, I was serving on the World Economic Forum, the Global Shapers, and, uh, Nate's partner turned wife at the time was also really, you know, really. Yeah. So we got chatting and literally in the boardroom, he said to me, well, we're doing this thing. And, uh, and I got interested and I was kind of mentally checking out of, of NetBank and I said, well, I'd be definitely keen. A week later, unfortunately, I, I got a call from the big blue people, mm-hmm. um, and they moved at the speed of light. So it was just a timing issue, unfortunately. Which is fitting for people yeah. who basically yeah. own the internet. Yeah, absolutely. In some respects. So, so yeah. So, so Facebook. Facebook. We're talking about Facebook in case you didn't blue internet. <laughs> it didn't quite land. So, yeah. so Facebook has snaps you up. They're opening an Africa office. Correct. Uh, for the first time in yeah. their history. Yeah. Um, and as covering the, covering the scene, I'm very cynical mm. about what they're going to achieve, what they're mm. really here to do, yeah. their, their intent to actually revolutionize their scene. I mean, I'm cynical on so many levels. Yeah. What made it something you wanted to do? Because I know there are many things, knowing your feeling about what needs to be done on the continent to make things better, yeah. I know that it's not the obvious thing to join Facebook, even for you. Yeah, I, I think once again the co- the context of the the project ticked my personal boxes. So much like so? much like when I was going into 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 NetBank, um, it was it was a completely new role in our, in our context. Um, there was no team members. There was one gentleman, Aiden, who was coming from uh, from Dubai, who was going to be joining the team here. Um, so essentially, we were starting the, the team from scratch. Um, and what were you doing? Like, what was the what was Facebook trying to what was Facebook trying to achieve by coming to Africa or setting up an office in South Africa hmm. to to service the African country? Yeah. Re, sorry, <laughs> the African continent. Yeah. That was some of my criticism. I thought, hey, come yeah. now, guys, are you yeah. seriously just going to land here and think you're going to conquer the continent? Yeah. Anyway, so what were they trying to achieve by that? Yeah. And and then again, what were they trying to achieve by bringing 
someone like you on board? Well, exactly that. So there, we, we've got lots of global partnerships as a business. So, you know, the Unilevers, the Coca-Colas of the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and our office Shame. He just said was, we. Uh, oh, yeah. Is your heart still there? In a small way, yeah. I'll, small explain, way. I'll explain okay, why. Carry I'll explain on. Why. All right, cool. Um, so, so, so the company was set up essentially, number one, to fulfill on those global partnerships. So, you know, we had, we had agreements with the guys that are signed in New York and obviously, you know, Coca-Cola and Unilever all over the world. So we needed to make sure that in the sub-Sahara context, there was a team that managed the relationship, helped them to understand the platform, got them better optimized, et cetera, et cetera. So we came into the ecosystem to work with our clients specifically and by implication, the agencies that service them. So it was um, never for us, actually. Um, well, it was in the long run. So okay. that was the, that was the starting point naturally because you know that's where that's where we get most impact. Uh-huh. Um, the idea was then to build out a, a support team, which was across um, from measurement right through to creative, um, and then on top of that, the idea would be then to go into into kind of the the nether regions, um, you know, East and West Africa. Okay. But we were you know initially looking at doing that from here, um, you know, for obvious reasons and and you know for reasons which I'm sure everybody understands. Mm-hmm. Um, geographically, this was an easy entry point, and we wanted to make sure that we got some momentum behind the business before you know taking on a place like Nigeria or Kenya. Um, we did have other members of our team from our growth teams and other areas that spent time there and that were there, but we necessarily, weren't necessarily officially domiciled there in terms of an office space. Is there any heavy lifting happening here? Like anything, anything that's heavy lifting in as far as keeping Facebook online that happens on the continent? Not really. No. Okay. No, 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 it doesn't happen anywhere. There's two, there's two places that happens. One of the challenges I know that you faced, I tried to interview this guy a million times. The reason <laughs> it's taken so long for him to end up on the series is because they wouldn't let you. Nah. Well, initially he had to get, he had to get permission and all that. Yeah. Um, but there were many, the, the whole in, um, net neutrality debate was really hotting up at the yeah. time. And there was only so much you could say and say honestly. So yeah. you never granted me an interview because you weren't going to lie to me or like not answer my questions yeah. and stuff. And so, yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you did that because yeah. now we can talk now. And well, how did you navigate issues around people challenging Facebook's apparent disregard for the importance of maintaining net neutrality? Or perhaps maybe you see it differently. Are they here to promote it in some way that I, I can't tell right now? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, I yeah. suppose my, my, my position as, as client partner was a, was a commercial and sales related position. Yeah. Right? So you never had so, to grapple with it directly. Well, not directly. I had opinions, um, which, which, which you kept to yourself, which, which I had to keep to myself. <laughs> and there was people that were employed, like our head of policy, a belly, a great lady, um, who, who dealt with them. But, you know, my, my view is, is, is more philosophical than anything else. At the point that we are now, if you take a moment in time and a snapshot, um, the argument is that it is better to give pe- more people access as widely as possible. Do you believe that? Yes. Absolutely. Even if it's a, a blue version that only has Facebook and two, three other things? Yeah. At, the, at this moment in time, okay. I believe it absolutely. Okay. Why? Because we look at the measured impact in the communities where they do get access. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the ability for people to find jobs now. You can look at the ability for farmers to be able to understand rain yield or what to plant at which time. Um, and that has got a base impact on the people in those communities right now. Right? So, so I have the – are you saying that I have the, the – um, the privilege of being able to look at it some other way just because Absolutely. I, I get like fiber broadband to my Absolutely. home. Absolutely. It's okay. it's you know, you're at a slight you're at a very different stage of technology adoption and understanding. Um, imagine someone that has never been able to search for a job um, 
other outside of the five kilometers that he was born up and brought up in. Now all of a sudden he knows that there's a place outside of this five kilometer radius. And a girl he can date on Facebook. And a, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, a girl he can date on Facebook. Yeah. But you bring all these opportunities in a real way to people who weren't ever going to be able to access them. Now, with that, obviously, comes a whole lot of responsibility and behavior that is consummate to what you're trying to achieve, which is empowerment at the base level. Um, and I think that is more of the discussion as opposed to should this, you know, net neutrality, should we give access to as many as possible, um, you know, as broadly as possible? I, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a debate at this point. Yeah. In five, ten, fifteen years time where access maybe we reevaluate it. And, and then maybe something different. But as I said, just based on the impact that is provided through, you know, giving people that you know, little shrivel of access, I don't think that's a no it's brain pra- pragmatic argument and I yeah. think there's room for it. Yeah. Um, so let's speed up a little bit because yeah. we don't have a lot of time left and yeah. I want to get people answer, asking questions. They might have comments or questions for you. Cool. Um, and so, you know, Facebook, you leave Facebook, you write this book. Actually, the book writing started while you were at Facebook. Yes. Maybe sooner. Yeah. And, but that came out while you were at Facebook. Yeah. And consequent, <laughs> and, and so there were things you couldn't put in the book because you were at Facebook. Correct. How many times did I say Facebook? So anyway, four, four times. Okay. Oh. So <laughs> you're actually counting. <laughs> what are you now, an accountant? <laughs> so, so yeah, so you write this book, yeah. Ladders and Trampolines, I believe it's called. Correct. Really good book, guys. He's actually published. So it's not one of those self-published <laughs> things. Not that I knock those because go ahead and write your own thing. It's not, I have no, but he's actually picked, you know, he got a publisher. They, well, he got approached to yeah. write a book and he writes this book and it's actually quite good. Mm. And it's available on Amazon, I believe, and yeah, and all other books. Yeah, too. shameless plug. It really is that good. It's a fun read. A lot more depth to some of the things we're talking about here. Yeah. So, um, you write this book. Mm-hmm. Is it in writing the book you decided or you knew? Okay, it, is, does it predate the epiphany you had at that Facebook thing when you knew you were going to quit? Yeah. Okay. So the book's already out. Yeah. Yeah. So the book was a collection of a number of chapters of my life. So I, you know, I, I write generally and I'm one of those people who expresses myself better in the written form than, than the verbal form. So over the That's years... That's hard to believe, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Ask my wife, she'll tell you. <laughs> okay. um, over the years, I'd become, you know, it become quite therapeutic to write down the, the nuances of the stuff that I saw. Um, so I had had a collection of different stories. So I just had to, you know, pretty much put them together and find common thread. Um, so when I started writing the book, um, it was actually a challenge to myself. You know, I, in, in, in Facebook as a business, there's, you know, there's, there's this thing called the impossible challenge and every single year, everyone challenges themselves to do something. So well, like Mark Zuckerberg wanted to what? Run, run every day or run learning, like, run, running every day, reading a book a month, learning okay. how to code, yeah. creating an artificial intelligence. So those are overachiever kind of people. So do you guys get like, stars, gold stars? And no, I don't. Okay. There's kudos around the, cooler, uh, the water cooler though. Oh, okay. okay, okay. <laughs> so I thought to myself, look, my impossible challenge, let me get this book done. Um, let me give myself uh, three weeks to get it done um, and then and, 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 and see where to go. So that was how I wrote it. But yes, the experience I was going through at the time and from the time I left NetBank, and joined Facebook, I couldn't, I couldn't document it to the degree I felt I should document it. Which is why you're writing a second book. Correct. I will, Which is yeah. called? So, chapter we are in now. Yes. We've left Facebook. We're speaking everywhere. In fact, you and I like cross paths yeah. uh, every so often. You know, we get invited to speak at the same thing. Yeah. You always leave me um, rather inspired. And I know I always do the same. Absolutely. And I'm kidding. I hope I do. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then, um, and then you, the, and then you start this ad tech business, microtizing, right? And, yes. and it's like a real tech business. It's like a real startup. Mm. You're actually like mm. building a team, all the stuff we talked about. Yeah. You're like, 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 um, landing like, you've already landed angel investment. Yes. You, you're like plotting your series A. Yes. Serious stuff. 
Yeah, look, I think I've, I'm back in my lane. Uh, you know, I think, to be to be quite frank, um, sure. it's only been it's only been eight weeks officially, but okay. yes, I'm back in my lane, and and I've partnered with uh, with with people that I think add real value to the business. Yeah. Um, Are you allowed to say what it is yet? Or no, what the I am not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can't even say what I'm what I what I know. No, no, I'm you not can't. Okay. Yeah, but but what what I will say, okay, um, is that the philosophy for me at the moment is uh, you know I speak about uh, the Kalenga conundrum about how life seems to be getting incrementally better if you look at the Human Development Index. But if you look at technology and Moore's Law, it's getting exponentially better. So the question I ask is why is, you know, why are they not intersecting? Why is technology not lifting the human condition? Um, so that's kind of become what I'm dedicating my life to solve. And one of those areas happens to be education. And my, my, my partner, CTO, has built a very successful education business called Clock um, just down the road. Um, so we're building another business now, which I'm, which I'm going to be running. That's in the SME space. So we're going to bring world-class um, capability to small medium businesses, getting them into new markets, new environments. And then the third one, which we're going to develop together, hopefully, sorry, Kola, I'm kind of telling people before we have greed, yeah. um, but we're going to try and solve something in the health tech space. So, uh -huh. um, so you know, we're trying to kind of consolidate our efforts, but try and deliver more impact because fundamentally those two lines can't keep separating. We need to make sure that we, you know, we're lifting as we rise, as they, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. Lifting as we rise. I like that. Mm. Good as place as any to, to put this down because we can talk forever. At yeah. least I can. Yeah. So let's give other people a chance to anything you'd like to ask Musa. Hi, Musa. I'm Hello. Cindy of Cindy Lake Cashmere Photography. And I wanted to ask a personal question in terms of how you kind of wake up in the morning and kind of decide on ideas and plans you might have had. How do you push forth and kind of keep pushing as you go along? Yeah, so I, I think it's... I'm unfortunately one of those people that like writes feverishly everything that I think about. Um, so, and it's lame, but I do it. And the thoughts that keep recurring to me are the ones that I spend most time on. So sometimes you have random thoughts, um, and those thoughts will just be random. But then there's the things that kind of play at your heart. And for me specifically, if I look at all the journals that I have over the last couple of years, all the things I eventually spent all in my energy and time doing were things that I thought about a long time ago, and they've just developed, right? So that's, that's the first thing. And I think if you, if you pick those ideas, you're likely to pick ideas that are aligned to your passion and who you are, as opposed to finding ideas just because you want to you know, get stuff done. Now, that's not to take away from the fact that in pursuing long-term goals, you have to do short-term things, but that's generally how I refine what I spend my time focusing on. And then every day when I wake up, it makes it easier for me to have that top of mind. Um, the challenge with pushing forward, I mean, I always say entrepreneurship is like waking up every morning, going to the edge of a cliff and throwing yourself off voluntarily, um, uh, literally. Um, but Sensible thing to do. Exactly. It makes, it makes Repeatedly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but for me, the one thing I have missed about that process of throwing myself off the edge every single day um, was the lives and the people's you know, influence that you have and the impact in young people's spaces. So you know, having worked at NetBank, having worked at Facebook, having worked at, you know, in different capacities, to this day, my best experience was in my first business, Monati Fellas. Why? Because everybody that I brought in to date has gone on to be amazing and done amazing things. And we're talking like Lori Wars. Yeah. These guys are like hectic DOPs or like uh, radio DJs, radio DJs, TV, TV present. Like yeah. seriously. So, yeah. And because we had such a great little incubator for young people who were re really just lost, like our, our interview process was, what are you going to do It was a here? bunch of weirdos. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to come and do here? And they were like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, come spend some time. If after three days you've got something to do, we've got a deal. If after three days you don't, then you know we don't. Never had a, a legal contract, never had an employer. But I could create that environment. So for me, what, what, what really justifies throwing myself off this cliff every single day um, is being able to know that in the process, you're empowering people's lives. You're being able to bring the 
best of breed or best of breed in your space um, to create something awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm fastidious about value. So if you're focused on creating value, I think it then kind of justifies itself. Well, I think it's ironic that yeah. that was something beautiful about Monate Fellows, but mm. ultimately also caused the downfall. Absolutely. It's down, isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah. It's about knowing how much of each thing to have it's in your... Shakespearean, huh? Yeah, Shakespearean. <laughs> uh, any, okay, you, we've got a new hand. Yes, thank you. Hi, my name is Sesetu. I just want to find out in your experience, how important is it to have the corporate background before branching into you know, entrepreneurship? You have that entrepreneurial spirit, yep. but you're just like, I need some experience. I also need a steady income. Sure. How, is, how important is that? You know, how, how, is, how important was it in your journey in terms of expertise as well? When I, when I look back now, with hindsight, it's not that important. But when I was standing, before I joined corporate, I tell you the challenges I was facing, because Monati Fellas, essentially, we were trying to push the envelope in research at the time. So we were saying, you guys have been collecting data, and it's been taking months to do so, and you're doing so by sending people in field. But there are these great little devices called phones that you can do that on now. Now, as a young company trying to push that agenda, they'll come at you because they'll say, well, what do you know about research? You haven't studied it. You haven't been in a research organization. You're not XWPP. Blah, blah, blah. So I really felt the pressure at that point to say, well, maybe I need to be in a more formal environment to give me the street cred to talk about this area. Um, now that I look back on it, having been in the formal environment, would it have made or break, uh, made or, or, or broken our success? I I'd argue not. yes. No, I agree no. Um, I argue yes because at the time, I was, what, 21 years old? Yeah. yeah. And, but now, looking back on it, I don't think it would have. It wouldn't, okay. have, it wouldn't have changed. Well, things. it wouldn't have changed you yeah. and your mindset, the ideas, no. your ability to execute on those ideas. Yeah. But certainly, I mean, surely the, the access, market access, I mean, even in finding some of the co-founders for the current ventures you have now, yeah. surely you don't just walk sachet in there and go, hey, I'm from Monate Fellas. You know, you go, walk in there with, you know, NetBank, Facebook, and yeah. Monate Fellas, and this MBA. It kind of works together, surely. It kind of does, but once again, if you're focusing on value, so do, does anybody know a person called Adam D'Angelo? No. Who knows Adam D'Angelo? Right, by show of hands. No. No, not that no. D'Angelo. Someone said a Adam, musician. Yeah. No, no, I, I was a good guess. Good guess. Good does guess. anybody know a platform called Cora? Yeah. Heck yeah. Right. So the, the founder and the person who built the Cora's I'm name is Adam D'Angelo, right? And Adam D'Angelo happened to be the founder and the CTO for Facebook as well. Um, and he was also a, an alumni of the Philip Exeter Academy. So he's one of these clever people. But you don't know anything about Adam, but he's been able to create value in businesses over the last 10, 15 years. Snap, that's a that, really good example. That you us. cannot... You cannot dispute that, the fact that he's created yeah. value. Does the fact that he went to the Philip Exeter Academy make any impact? No. Does the fact that he was, Mark Zuckerberg openly quotes him about, about being 10 times smarter than Mark is? No. The value he has created eventually becomes what the market buys. Because there's smart so, people you will never hire. Exactly. There are people who went to Exeter you'll never want to start a business exactly. with. Exactly. Okay. So, so coming Fair back enough. to your point, yeah. I, I think in the corporate context, it does give you certain soft skills. It gives you an understanding. For me, the best, the, the only thing that corporate gave me was, I suppose you can argue, an MBA, but also patience to understand the processes that make things so frustrating. So standing outside as an entrepreneur, you'd be like, why does this take six months to approve. Like, surely, you like the idea? Yes. You like the idea? Yes. Why aren't you signing off? You know? So, so, so that gave me the ability to go, okay. There's, to empathize, the, strangely. Exactly. There's, there's <laughs> processes corporate. they follow. There's, so it gave me the ability to go, okay, cool. Breathe and approach it differently. Right? Is that valuable? Absolutely. Does it make or break the idea that you have? No. 
Um, you know, so, so that's why I'm saying yes and no. I think if you focus on value and you, you honestly know that you're creating and or solving a problem, um, corporate experience becomes a nice added, you know, nice to have, but not necessarily core. Um, you could go the route of being, you know, really gung-ho about building a great reputation and ride on that coattail for landing value, which a lot of entrepreneurs do in our context. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily... It falls apart when you don't know what you're doing or you, you're actually yeah, not adding value. Because the opposite apl- applies, right? Yeah. So you've gone and you've painted a great story. You've worked in all these corporate places. Now you've got money and someone's giving you the cash. And, and they're like, why didn't that work? And you can't do that. So I think you need to think about carefully. It's a very personal thing. But as I said, for me, looking back, I think no. But when I was standing there and I was looking at corporate and looking at my entrepreneur space, I was like, absolutely. If I do that, they'll definitely buy for me. But it doesn't work that way. The focus should be on value. And more, I get, when I get invited to speak, a lot of the time I talk about the importance of hybridity. And how, as I mentioned earlier, no one really cares how you became an expert, right? Um, uh, I had some people take issue with my interest in the tech scene and the extent to which I've decided to make this part of what I do for a living as a broadcaster. They're like, you know, who, who gives you the right to sort of tell Google they're not doing something right? And I'm like, actually, I do, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Actually, Haters! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, and for a while it bugged me. It was like, hang on, like, yeah. should I have a comp sci background like should i have been embedded in like one of these major corporates or whatever for me to have a right and i woke up one morning i was like flip a neck changed my little bio on twitter broadcaster Mm. at african roundup done do you get what i'm saying and and then and then the value hopefully is validated by you all being here Mm. and by everybody and all the amazing feedback we get from our community saying thank you so much for showing us africa in a way that we've never seen before and i know it's not a great or perfect picture, or the most perfect picture possible, but flip, it's my picture, and I'm mm. part of it. Mm. And that's, I learned from this guy, really. Because, I mean, you'd visit his office, and you'd think, really? They get, like, million-dollar contracts up here? <laughs> like, and it never, and the thing is, hey, <laughs> <laughs> like in Monado Fellas, I'm serious, though. I'm serious, though. And I'm yeah. like, really? Because yeah, really. what I thought needed to happen was what I did. What I was doing at the time, yeah. I had the fancy office in Northcliffe. And then later, when I had all these crazy overheads with the low margin business that wasn't making any money. Yeah. Remember, it was really, yes. And, and my, I had all this, I had like banks as my clients. Only I'd make 30,000 Rand margin over six months from a million, half a million Rand deal. Ouch. Why? Because I didn't get what, you know, Musa's talking about. He gets in a room, he knows what value he adds, and he gets in there and he adds the value and he walks out and people are like, I want to work with that guy again. Mm. And you, you start to work, it becomes an infectious way to live. And, 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 and it opens up doors. Sorry, I'm preaching. Anyone else? <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm being a, a little nasty, but we have a new hand and I'm coming back to you. I see you. <laughs> okay. Musa, um, your story is inspirational. You're an inspiration and you've been generous with a lot of people, including me. So I thank you for that. And who are you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he was having a let's, romance let's moment. Rewind. Okay. Yes. <laughs> My name is Chilu. Um, the voice. The voice. The, the <laughs> it has its moments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, strange question. Uh, you were turning. I'd, I'd forgotten how old you were turning. It was your birthday party. I phoned your wife to find out what I should get you. And she said a book maybe about Ghana. <laughs> so I searched, man. There are no books about Ghana, but what's the fascination? That's horrible, though, right? <laughs> I hope I hope that's changed. I hope there's a ton of books about no, you Ghana. No, because the thing now. is to find across. I mean, his interest is like business and oh, all I these see, kind of yeah. things, and then yeah. Ghana, you yeah. know. But randomly. So, what's your fascination about Ghana? I'm just curious. Yeah, Ghana has got a very special place in my heart. It's actually it, it goes. It, it's I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. But when we used to live in Botswana, um, my dad told me that there was a there was a professor, uh, Mr. Professor Ajua 
who for whatever reason, him and I like got on like a house on fire, and I must have been whatever, six, seven, I was young. But this professor and I had like long convers, and I don't even remember the person, but my dad tells me this guy, Professor Joy, you, you know, you'd sit with him for like hours and chat. Um, and that was the first reference I ever had to Ghana. For whatever reason, I, I felt very close to it. Fast forward to, to modern day, um, about a year and a half ago, I, I took it. I took a trip, and on this particular trip, I decided I was going to go out to the Gold Coast. Um, and uh, those of you that know the, the history of, of Ghana, the Gold Coast was essentially, um, for lack of a better word, uh, the border between Ghanaians and, and slavery, and kind of where they essentially shift over 40 million Ghanaians via boat, packed them in like sure. sardines, and you know took them. Bye-bye, Yeah, took them to, 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 sure. to, to the west. Um, so I went to Amina um, Castle and I spent some time there and it was like a spiritual experience. It was very strange. You walk into a dungeon that's literally this big that goes about probably about 10 meters underground. There's no windows, no anything. Um, the guy who's giving us the, the guided tour says the ground that you're standing on is about three or four meters deep. And it's three or four meters deep based on human remains and human waste. Um, so when they found the castle, they had to actually break through this artificial layer of stuff before they got to the concrete. Because people had died in there, people defecated in there, people did all the stuff in this dungeon. And even over and above that, the, the Africa Resolve is that people survived that, went on to wherever it is they landed up in US or wherever it was, and they went on to make lives and they went on to live. You know, it was, it was such a, for me, spiritual experience. There's a one door that leads out to the main docking board where they got a post that says the door of no return. So if you knew that you'd gone through the dungeon process and you arrived at this door, it meant that you were leaving and you'd never come back. Um, and even people that were sick, you know, they wouldn't even send you back. If you were in this environment, your life was slavery or death. That was, those are the two options. Um, so when I went through that, and I write about it in the first paragraph of my, of my book, um, for whatever reason, I just kind of felt that Ghana for me represents a really important symbol of how things should never, ever, ever happen again. Not only to Africans, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a principle across the board. And I know Jewish people have gone through very similar. Um, and I'm very passionate about the human experience in relation to technology. Um, so Ghana for me represents a very interesting, stark place, um, emotional uh, place. That's why my wife probably said, you must give me a book on Ghana. Um, but I then started to become fascinated with their, with their culture and you know, subsequent things about them. So that's, that's, that's my Ghana thing. Sure, that's deep. Yeah, yeah, I see. Okay, Sorry. so guys, we only have time for if one more. I just more. killed the mood in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies. Swing low. <laughs> it's Chilo's fault. Sweet child. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to start humming. Do you have a... Okay, so last two questions. <laughs> last two questions. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh, hi, Musa. Hello. Congratulations on what sounds like a glorious career and by, by a young black man. As, as a black woman, I'm inspired today. I don't know you. Thank um, you, ma'am. So, so your yeah. name again? Slamalani. Sorry, my name is Slamalani. Okay. Now we know each other. I guess my question is uh, to you, Musan, or maybe to both of you. Uh, how do you, as a, as a mature entrepreneur, you've had, the, you've had your corporate street cred experiences, you've explained it. And uh, you had a bad experience with how you hire and contracts and the like. Yeah. And now, coming back to your entrepreneurial life, you're in your lane. How do you select your, your partners? What's the process? And, and I mean, is it that they select you? How do you find the kind of people that have the credibility you require, the funding you require, the experience you require? I mean, I imagine it's complex and, and yeah. I, I cannot even begin to think yeah. what it must take. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a bash. Um, really good question. I'm a I'm a I'm a very uh, I'm a very spiritual individual. So the first point of call is 
do our souls vibe? Like, and I don't know how to explain that. Like, there's no real science to understanding with our souls vibe. Um, you know, it's a process of sitting down and chatting and just figuring out a few things. There are psychological kind of ticks that I go through when I'm speaking to people and I'm considering them. Um, but my current partner and CTO, completely, I've known him for six months, but our souls just, just connected. Number one. Number two, at its core, it doesn't help us all being able to have the same skill set and trying to solve the problem the same way. So one of the key decisions around me and my, my new partner um, is that he's, he's very much a developer. He's a brilliant information architect. He understands that world better than I do. I understand the high-level stuff. So from a skills perspective, he complements what I do. Um, and, and thirdly, the, the experience. Um, you know, I, I, at the point I'm at now, it's very important for me to know that I'm going into war with people that have got battle scars as well. Um, you know, because it's one thing to bring someone on the journey without them knowing what they're getting themselves into and having to explain every step of the way what is happening to you now. Or think that you're going to just make magic. Exactly. Like you're the ticket. Exactly. Mm. Um, so battle scars are important for me is, you know, what, what is it that you've been through? And battle scars don't mean amazing success. It means that you've, you've actually, you've walked a road in your own capacity and, um, and, and you've come to a point where you want to do this together. And then last but not least, I think ultimately vision. Um, as I mentioned, I've made the mistake with, with the transaction with Tebe, um, where we weren't aligned on vision, but everything felt kind of right. We were great friends, great chemistry, blah, blah, blah. But fundamentally, our visions were, were very different. So, so for me, that's, you know, very roughly what I use. And I don't think I even use it in, in quite as, you know, as a, as a structured way as I've explained it. But, um, for me, if our souls don't vibe, we, we can't work together. Um, number two, if you don't bring in something from a skill set that is fundamentally different to what I bring, then what's the point? Um, and then last but not least, in 10 years time, can we sit and have a whiskey? and still be able to smile at each other and say we've done a bad thing or we've done a good thing and that's vision for me and so there's a mate of mine Carl Bates has written a book um, and this concept's borrowed from him but it explains where I'm at with that uh, I'm in the process of transitioning from craftsmanship to entrepreneurship and uh, key to that is a lot of issues but um, one of them is craftsmanship's not scalable right so you're this amazing person. You can make this beautiful pottery or you can do this artwork. You're a broadcaster. You've got some talent on television. You write well. You produce well. You direct well. I'm describing what I do, right? Um, you also happen to have a business degree. So you, you can create hybrid situations. You can consult and stuff like that. But really all you are is a person who's in a unique position to sell time. Uh, and you really are just a craftsman. And, 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 and maybe that changes as people invite you to to, to strategy tables, which is starting to happen, which has started to happen for the last sort of three or four years of my life, which is great. But then ideas come along or you, where you realize that they're bigger than you or bigger than what you can achieve on your own or bigger than what you can achieve in terms of assembling teams that you manage for short times and then, you know, disperse a, a la the sort of boutique agency concept I used to run, you know, execute on amazing stuff and then use that to do the next thing. Now it's like legacy. Like if I'm going to make something that's going to last and it's going to outlast me and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be great, I need to start thinking differently about who I bring in with me. And so I can't answer that question completely, but I think it's a process we all have to follow in some shape or form because many of us come from a, you know, a, a place where we've got a craft or something we're good at. And many of us try and turn that into a business and scale that and often it's not set up to succeed. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we're giving you a very 
like yeah. if uh, like airy fairy answer, but yeah. I think it's because of kind of where we're at now. But if yeah. you if I was to give advice to a young entrepreneur starting the journey, I'd say focus on getting someone who's got a different skill set from you. Um, so True. you know, don't 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 bring you know Munati fellas was sixteen of my friends that all had the same life experience, same you know doesn't doesn't add to anything. So if you were starting out and you're saying who should I partner with, at a very basic, get someone who does something different to what you do. Yeah. So our final question. Yeah, so uh, Ben from VC for Africa, great stuff. But, um, you know, coming back to this experience you had on the Gold Coast and, and, and this visual, is, you know, visual picture you painted for us of, of this door, mm. you know, past this door, uh, no return. This yeah. is a door, of course, that somebody else built. Yeah. And I wonder in how far this kind of relates to your own fascination with technology mm. and the, the potential that technology has to you know, for Africa to build a new door yeah, on its own terms. Absolutely. Uh, and how far is that a realistic expectation? Mm. And and what stands in the way of Africa being able to build its own doors through mm. through the power of technology? You're absolutely right, man. If that mic wasn't wasn't was mine, I'd let you drop it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> okay, like if that was my mic. I'd be like, dude, drop that mic now. Okay. <laughs> except except it's not my mic. So. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, so that's, Musa? yeah. That's a that's an yes. that's a powerful point. That's man. a question. Man. Um, All right. I, I spend a lot of time when I when I do my talks. I try to land the point that technology reframes realities. You know, that's <laughs> that's what it does. You know, technology at its core, and for us developing markets in Africa. Yeah. If you use it correctly, you're going to reframe someone's reality. Um, Prodigy, you know, gave someone access to an MBA who would have never had the access to that MBA. That's a doorway into the world of whatever it is that they may do. If you look at what they were doing in, in Rwanda by being able to send blood samples, you know, via zipline, yeah? zip mm. um, for someone who's hemorrhaging and is about to die in the next 40 minutes, it'll take you four hours. Now it takes you 15 minutes. Heck, you WhatsApp are, as you're being mugged. Exactly. It's going to just after. Exactly. Um, Ushahidi in, in Kenya, those things, they reframe yeah. People's reality. Yeah. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think the only thing that is stopping us from fully realizing that there's a couple of there's a couple of core issues. Um, so we're not churning out at the fastest enough rate to be able to meet the demand of the problems that we have. So we don't have enough people that are starting to think in the way that they can actually take a problem from being defined as a problem to a solution that can be developed and deployed. Um, and that goes down right from strategic thinking to people that actually build things. And we all know that. We're faced with challenges. Technology people have to outsource to India. Um, we have to go and find people that are in all other different parts of the world to be able to create the things that we need to create. So on a very kind of baseline and grassroots level, the first thing we need to do is obviously create that, that, that cohort of people. The second is that in our education systems and our formal structures, um, we're, not, we're not providing the right kind of content to allow people to think imaginatively about solving these problems. I always take, you know, and I, and I poke fun at it, but you know, a lot of us will go back to our village or go back to you know, the place where you come from, um, and you'll find the person that has been sitting on the same corner for the last 20 years, um, and their reality is that corner, those five meters that they see. You've been in that environment, you've left, you come back. And the set of eyes that you see the problem through or the environment through is very different to that person. But we're not yet scaling that experience to get enough people that are seeing the same situation with different eyes. So if you get those people that are driving the agenda and then you get the people that can make, build and solve, I think that's a step in the right direction. Uh, I do think, yes, we are getting there incrementally. But once again, my, my always challenge is that exponentially, if we're not seeing the, the, the human development condition rising, then we're not doing it at the correct rate. Um, but I think it comes back to the self-belief. I think Africans are challenged 
challenged from that perspective. Even, you know, Africans in any context, we come across as though we're not fully, you know, believing our own source, which is a problem. Um, and the source that we have is the source that everybody else is looking for, but we don't know we've got it. And I think if we can figure out ways to be able to allow young people and young kids to get that source and be proud of that source and solve problems with that source, I think we're, you know, we're onto something good. Oh my word, that's a good place as any to end that. Yeah, that's another mic drop moment. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me thank this morning my good friend, the incredible ongoing success story that is Musa Kalenga. Thank you, Andile.